Hello dear listeners, this is Editing Leo speaking. Just as a quick heads up, at around minute 48 of this episode of the podcast, there's a short mention of rape. Just so you know. And with this, on to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Universe podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with my co-host Charlotte. Hello. And our guest, Angie. Hi. Hello, everybody. Angie, this is your premiere on the podcast stage. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, my name is Angie, if you haven't (laughs) noticed so far. And I'm a freelance writer, editor and translator. And I write basically everything from non-fiction to fiction, songs, someone in the past in a very depressive phase. <laughs> and, uh, and um, yeah, I love writing, and today I'm going to read a story. That's very nice. We're just going to start right off with the story. It's called Talking to Sewer Rats. Yes, very promising title. <laughs> it is. Um, it's a Christmas story, basically. I know it's September, but I thought if the shops can start Christmas stuff in September, so can I. <laughs> so, um, yes. Talking to a sewer rat. Here we go. It was a particularly cold December evening, and Mr. Roger was cowering underneath the bridge, pressing his back to the wall to escape the freezing wind howling through the town. He had put every blanket and cloth fabric he owned on his body, and a bottle of whiskey he had obtained was warming him nicely from the inside. The bridge was a good enough place, he had determined, and it usually provided for a good sleeping place especially with the cold season looming upon the homeless. The water was pretty shallow now in winter, and the arched shape ensured some shielding from the elements. Additionally, the lights of the Christmas market, plonked between the town's church and the river, projected fading dancing lights of red and white on the grey bricks of the bridge, which meant Mr Roger felt quite Christmassy down here. He was halfway through the bottle when the chill that was cascading periodically through his body slowly dwindled, and the nice feeling of oblivion and inner content set in. The lights flickering on the dead bricks was becoming a little blurry, and he sighed as he leant deeper into the cool wall, taking slow sips and munching away the rest of a crepe he had found in the bin at the market. "'You mind me getting something of it?' a voice asked from his side, and when he turned around, he found himself facing a fat sewer rat with a long, wormy tail, deep black button eyes, and a mischievous grin on his face. He was looking at the crepe in Mr. Roger's hand, and with a sigh, he ripped off a bit and tossed it to the rat. Thank you, the rat said, devouring the piece of food before settling down next to Mr. Roger. Beautiful, in it? he asked, directing his pointy nose at, nose at the Christmas market above. Mr. Roger nodded, his initial irritation turning into gratitude to not be alone this night, this night of all nights. You been? The rat continued, his long teeth showing as he grinned at Mr. Roger. He had beautifully shaped whiskers which bounced every time he talked. Mr. Roger shook his head. Not during the day. They don't like the lot of me there, but I sometimes go in the night, getting food. I like the lights, though. The rat nodded. We are not welcome visitors there either, but my family and I sometimes go and look at the lights. Them like the lights. The faces light right up. 
The rat had finished its piece of crepe and was looking at Mr. Roger expectantly. He sighed again, but as he preferred the rat's company to none, he issued him another piece of the still deliciously smelling delicacy. They munched away in silence for a while before Mr. Roger spoke. You have family? Aye, the rat answered. A bunch of them. Lovely little rascals. They love them time, Christmas and such. Mr. Roger nodded, wincing at a painful memory. He still knew how her curls had smelled when he had whisked her up, flinging her through the air. He shook his head to get rid of the unwanted image in his head, but the smiling picture of this angel he had once known wouldn't fade as usual. He sipped some more. It was getting really warm in his bones now, and he liked it. What will you get your babies for Christmas? He asked the rat to deter his mind from visiting painful places. The rat shrugged. Who knows? Probably a crepe or two, huh? He laughed coarsely at his own joke, rolling on his grey fur. Mr. Roger didn't laugh, but he smiled at the rat's amusement. When the rat had composed itself again, they watched the market and soon Christmas carols could be heard, and Mr. Roger felt his heart ache because of the beauty of Christmas as well as the pain. How could he ever be merry again? And why were these strange feelings coming back tonight? He had certainly lived through other Christmases and survived without letting any vile thoughts stir him. He sipped more of his whiskey, noticing alarmed that the bottle was nearly emptied. Usually the whiskey helped, and it had helped past Christmases. But tonight was somewhat different. You got family. The rat interrupted his thoughts, and Mr. Roger stiffened. He realised he couldn't feel his feet anymore. No, I don't, he said determined. But the rat threw him a sceptical look. Yeah, sure. Mr. Roger nodded vigorously, tucking the dirty blankets around, closer around his body. No family for me. The rat didn't seem convinced, but remained silent for a moment. Ever had? He then asked, and Mr. Roger flinched, sliding a surprised look to the rat. How do you know? The rat shrugged. You see a lot in the sewers, don't you? You look like a fellow nice enough to have had a family once, don't you? The rat trailed off into silence, and Mr. Roger's eyes were pricked with tears when his gaze returned to the market. The smells permeating the air were mouth-watering, and he could sense the jolly atmosphere emanating from the square. He knew the Christmas market well, he knew where the stands were, and not only from roaming the bins at night now, but from times where he had danced to the carols and loudly and wrongly sung along them. Images of a little angel bouncing up and down his shoulders, a warm hand sliding into his, came into mind and he gulped. More whiskey. A little girl screeching in the carousel, face spreading joy and happiness. A woman softly squeezing his hand. Another sip. Daddy, Daddy, look at me, the girl screeched. The bobble on her woolly hat tumbling from one side to the other. Daddy, Daddy. Feeling his chest tighten, he drank up the bottle, greedily licking the last drops from the bottle's head. This needed to suffice. It didn't. More images poured into his mind, and as the door was seemingly open now, every other memory came rushing through as well, mercilessly filling his mind with agony and pain. Why are you doing this to me? he whispered. But the sore rat only shrugged. You're doing it to yourself, mate. And why would it be so bad to see it all, huh? Aren't them good memories? Mr. Roger noticed that he shivered and wrapped the blankets even tighter. It hurts, he whispered into the wind. The rat nodded. Might be true, but it's Christmas Eve, mate. You've got to think of the nice things in your life. That's what it's all about, ain't it? Mr. Roger looked at the little rat, uncertain what to do. 
It seemed he didn't have much of a choice here anyway, as the memories kept invading his mind. The whiskey only seemed to make it worse. Give him a last thought, the rat said with a little grin. As long as you've got the time, and it's Christmas after all. Mr. Rogers sat up and wiped his eyes. The tears had left crystallised streaks on his icy cold cheeks. You must speak. You have your family, but mine is long gone and I... His voice broke and the images came all back to him. Flames licking up the house, the distinct scream he had heard in the smoke. Obviously, everyone had told him he had imagined the scream, as it was far too late to do anything, but he could still hear it in his dreams. Only the mis- whiskey had made them go away. Don't think of the bad memories, mate, the sewer rat said, as if reading his mind. What about the carousel? How would you know about that? Mr. Roger piped up, but the rat looked rather undeterred and shrugged. Things you know, right? Mr. Roger sighed. The rat was talking in riddles, but he was too tired, and coldness was seeping into his veins again, the whiskey slowly wearing off. Yes, there was a carousel. Emmy, my daughter, she used to ride it every year at Christmas. She loved it. Sometimes I went on it with her, and she thought it was hilarious. Faded memories of laughter and joy leapt into his head, and beside the everlasting pang of guilt and pain, he felt something else. He felt love and a wisp of happiness emerge in his guts, warming him more effectively than the whiskey had ever done. Carol, my wife, was with us too, of course. We always went together. Christmas was always special. What would you do at Christmas? The sewer rat asked curiously, his whiskers trembling in anticipation. He sat hunched on Mr. Rogers' blanket now, warming himself up. We would bake cookies and then visit the market, like they do, Mr. Roger reminisced and pointed at the thinning crowds at the market as night was slowly falling. Emmy would go in the carousel and we would get punch and some food. He indicated to the last pits of the crepe and smiled sadly. Then we would head home where Carol and I put the finishing touches to a lovely Christmas dinner and Emmy was always so excited for Santa to come. Mr. Roger fell silent. There were still some children laughs ringing through the air and he thought how excited they would be upon Christmas morning. Emmy had once been one of them and he had taken it for granted that the happiness would last forever. Tears were trickling down anew but he ignored them. Now the muffled voices from the church rung through the air, singing Christmas carols, everyone huddled together in the pews, wishing each other a Merry Christmas. Christmas is for people who have loved ones, Mr. Roger concluded in a trembling voice and the rat nodded. That's true, mate, but remember, Christmas is a time to make a wish, so don't forget that in the holy night we have upon us. Merry Christmas. And with these words, the sewer waved briefly and vanished through a black hole, presumably returning to his family to celebrate Christmas himself. Mr. Roger was alone again, but he didn't fear the night anymore. The memories that had taunted him for so long were welcomed back in his mind, and in this of all nights, he could think of his little family, yearning to be with them once more. He leant back and listened to the carolers, remembering every moment he had had with his lovely family, before everything had been taken away. And just before sleep overtook him, he remembered the rat's words and made a wish. Christmas morning was as crisp as it gets, and the coroners cursed when they were torn away from their families, all huddled under the Christmas trees, delighted at Santa's gifts. They had found a body in the early morning hours, deep frozen by the cold, apparently a homeless guy, which sheltered under the bridge. They sometimes had them in winter, too proud to go to the soup kitchens or other shelters. The coroners arrived, and there was already a bunch of journalists surrounding the bridge, But as it had turned out to be a homeless person, the interest and thirst for a Christmas tragedy had quickly abated, 
and the journalists were now chatting and laughing next to the bridge. A woman found him, walking a dock in the early morning hours, the police officer explained to them. He must have frozen to death, someone in the night. The coroners nodded and hiked down the little slope leading to the riverbank under the bridge. There, wrapped in a myriad of blankets and cloths, a man was lying, his skin ebony white and his beard lined with ice, a smile carved into his frozen features. His skin was cold as ice and next to him lay a bottle of whiskey. And one of the coroners shrieked when he saw that at the feet of the dead man, nibbling on what looked like the remaining bits of a grape, sat a fat sewer rat. And that's the end. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The story was very nice. Yeah. I really liked it. Uh, thank you. Despite it being September and I think it's still a bit sunny outside. It's, it's true. It's a golden autumn day. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and also it's a sad Christmas story. Yeah, so exactly. it's not, you know, it doesn't really build on that. I have a question about that because yeah. most Christmas stories are happy. So I was, I was wondering if you made the choice of writing a sad one. I mean, I think there are multiple ways of interpreting your story because actually you could also be seen as being quite happy because in the end he's reunited with his family. That's what I, I, I first read it to my boyfriend and he was like, why do you always have to write sad stories? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I said, it's, it is sad, but it's also happy because he's now sort of back with his family mm -hmm. and I mean obviously you have to believe in heaven in order for this to be a happy story but still um yeah I mean I have to say for me I, I also have happy stories but obviously a story full of happy people is is not a story necessarily worth telling um in terms of that you you need sort of a, a conflict or a twist mm -hmm. of plot or anything And I do have, in the book, there are stories, this is, I think, by far the saddest story. So um, in the book where this story is, so the story is part of a collection and um, the other stories are, are much nicer, <laughs> say, in terms of frolicky and stuff. But I feel like I'm generally slightly, it's going to sound weird, slightly obsessed with the concept of homeless people in terms okay. of, like, what does have to happen in life mm -hmm. to go like to this place because when I think of my life and I know I'm really blessed then I, I can't see a scenario mm -hmm. in which I would end up on the street mm -hmm. I have so many friends family people who would first catch me or institutionalize me if necessary <laughs> um, but really being really sort of forced to live on the street is A concept that shocks me and hurts me deeply and it was this idea of okay what has happened what does happen so that you actually have to drink all the time and you rather sit under a bridge than be with anyone else and so this was the idea it's it's a bit a tad like dramatic and I think not every homeless person has people perishing in a fire <laughs> hopefully but um It was one of the scenarios where I thought this might be a reason to sort of end up like that. And yes, that was the idea behind it. And I really like, I, I, also, I also thought about what stories ring, sort of, and what stories stay with me. And you have things like the girl with the matchbox and stuff, mm -hmm. which is 
equally traumatizing and I kind of hate that story but I also still remember it very well and vividly Mm -hmm. because of the tragedy in it Mm -hmm. so I think those are great stories Mm. yeah Yeah. (laughs) I was wondering about the rats (laughs) (laughs) several things (laughs) it does seem quite supernatural I mean it does it speaks it's it's able to read his mind well, well, it depends. I think I leave this open to interpretation. My interpretation is, is that the rat doesn't talk at all. It's just a, it's Mr. Roger mm-hmm. being drunk and slowly freezing to death, mm-hmm. who sort of envisions talking to someone and finally opening up about um, his tragic past. So for me, it's basically a homeless guy. And there's just a sewer rat, mm-hmm. and he starts thinking the rat is talking to him. But if you like the story better with a supernatural rat, that's fine as well. <laughs> um, that's open to interpretation. Um, but for me, it was really this idea of I'm talking sort of... I don't know, there's a quote, and I have no idea who said it, but it's some people need permission to die in terms of that some people really need someone to say, you can let go now mm-hmm. in order to let go. And I think it's a very sort of haunted quote, but I, th- I think it's true. Mm-hmm. I think it may be true. And this was an idea that sort of came with the story. It was like, okay, he needs to give himself permission to let go of this life and move on into the next with his family, as corny as that sounds. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but whether supernatural or just a sort of fragment of his subconsciousness, that's open to the reader. I, I I really liked how he just when the rat starts talking to him, he doesn't flinch at all. It's like you know the most normal thing in the world. Yes, <laughs> that's normalizing the surreal. I find that I find that very Which, yeah, I think very interesting. That was basically the point to show. That was for me one of the points that it's not supernatural. Because obviously if a rat starts talking to you and mm-hmm. it's like in a normal real world, oh, yeah. you would sort of react. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're totally drunk, which he <laughs> is. Um, but that was one of the sort of clues that I would say for myself that this is all happening in his head. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. More questions regarding the rat. <laughs> um, sure. You gave the rat a very specific accent. I'm, and I apologise for it. I do a horrible, like, accent, but I just felt the rat would talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not very good with accents. Was that, like, a particular one? I don't know. It's just generally, like, East London, probably, inspired okay. accent. Uh-huh. Or Northern... England, but I'm not really good at determining like what exactly it is. I just felt myself the first time I read it out loud. Um, I just found myself sort of slipping into this accent and it sort of stuck. <laughs> because, I mean, it's also, you could argue, if he's talking to himself, why is he talking to himself in an East London accent? But, you know, it's just <laughs> how the story flows. <laughs> Slightly schizophrenic Mr. Roger. Poor, bless him. I feel like they also do this in Disney movies, for instance. They do, yeah. They rip off the the East London, or I, I think it's East London. It might also be Yorkshire, or I don't know. I'm really bad with accents, mm. with determining the nuances. And it might be a totally 
blunderous mixture of everything I've ever encountered. Does work, nonetheless. So. I mean, he says mate a lot, which makes him sound super Australian, but then, again, it's <laughs> fine. Uh, you were talking about that book before. Mm -hmm. you, you said uh, it's, it's a Christmas book, right? It's a collection of Christmas stories. Yes. And you must like Christmas a lot then, I guess, if you, if you yes. write <laughs> a lot of Christmas stories. And it's going to take a long time now. No. Um, yes, Christmas, I'm Christmas obsessed. Um, <laughs> yes, I would call it an obsession. And my whole family is Christmas obsessed. And um, so what I did, my plan was, which was super ambitious and it sort of has never seen the day of light so far, I wanted to write a sort of a Christmas advent calendar, so 24 mm -hmm. Christmas stories. Mm -hmm. I think at the moment I have about 10, mm -hmm. including the ones that are already sort of published. And my idea would be at some point to publish an advent calendar Ooh, of Christmas nice. stories so that you could read a little story like one of those every day mm -hmm. um, during December. And I also have my sisters contributing, um, contributing to this um, so it's going to be a bit of a family project, probably. <laughs> we'll see. But I decided... So I had these stories, and every Christmas I feel inspired to write. Because I feel like... Um, I think for many people saying Christmas is always the same, and it's like this traditional thing. But I think every family and everyone celebrates it in their very unique way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very fascinating. So I always ask people, like, how do you trim your tree? And... How, how exactly is your evening planned out and do you have a plan? I'm really fascinated how people <laughs> celebrate Christmas. And, um, and yeah, so I started writing those stories. I think the first one I actually wrote when I was still in my bachelor's degree. So it's a bit of odd years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and that set it off. And the funny thing is the story that I've written, it's... I should remember what it's called, but I don't. So I'm sorry about that. I think it's the first story in the collection. Um, and I actually wrote sort of two, well, not really sequels, but two other parts of that story, mm -hmm. which are in the book as well. So, yes. And um, I decided to self-publish it because it was sort of a small project and um, I just wanted it to go on. I sort of finished editing in about October, so I knew that having it published with anyone would be far too late, and I just wanted it to be out um, before Christmas. So I, and that was last year that I published it. And yeah, so far it's been well received by the people that actually got in touch with me about it. Nice. But um, yeah, and so if anyone likes Christmas stories, you can check them out and let me know what you think. <laughs> I really like the idea of, a, of an advent calendar. I remember when I was a kid, we also had one of these when there are a story that kind of progresses and there's a diff like, different part of the story for every day of the mm. 24 days of advent. And that, that was really nice. I had one of those with... The only thing I remember about it is that it had a cat in it. Mm -hmm. It was written from the perspective of a cat. <laughs> but it was really nice. It was like... But it was a sort of a a story in 24 chapters mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. 24 stories yeah. and I think I would rather have 24 stories 
It's also such a nice way to make children read or being yes. read too. That's really, because it would be so. I mean, it's nice for everybody who likes to read, but for children especially, I think, because when these stories are magical. Mm -hmm. True. Though this story might be a bit deterring for yeah. children. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> agreed. Hopefully not. But then, I mean, the girl with the matchbox is yeah. a children's story. Yeah. So there you go. Germans been traumatizing children since the 19th century. <laughs> no, but I, I actually have that because you said with children. I think why this is so important to me is because my mom always read to us every mm. night mm -hmm. in the Christmas time. So she would always pick up individual Christmas related stories from uh, the 12 nights of Christmas um, and other stories. Uh, and she would read to us. So I remember every night at about, I think, five, mm -hmm. she would light a candle and just sit basically in darkness. We would have our Advent wreath as well. Mm. And she would just read a story. Mm. And that was always very nice. And I, that's, I think, where the inspiration comes from to say, I would love to have a story to read every mm. Christmas. Because I don't know about other people but I tend to read and watch the very same books and movies every Christmas so for example Dickens Christmas stories mm -hmm. I read them every year and I'm happy to return to them because then I know it's Christmas <laughs> <laughs> like the same songs and the same movies as well so I think and it's just to finish like to I don't know I'm talking obsessively about Christmas but <laughs> here you go um I've just recently heard someone say, which I thought was a beautiful thought, that the uniqueness of Christmas is because in a world where everything permanently changes and it's sort of a bit like a like a rock solid stone that is always the same. Mm -hmm. You always do the same things. It's always mm -hmm. the same traditions, probably with a twist here and there. But basically, you know what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I think preserving traditions is very important for children, especially. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm so enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> She said in early September. <laughs> you being so enthusiastic about it also makes me feel Christmassy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sad. I actually listened to the first Christmas songs a week ago. <laughs> I don't know, I found myself being less and less enthusiastic over Christmas the really? last couple of years. Yeah. I, it kind I, of loses the magic. It does, it. but then I've, since my um, little nephew is alive, uh, it has become much nicer for all of us because he's four now mm. and for him it's always like such a big thing and he yes. believes in magic and in, in little Jesus angel bringing gifts and stuff and he's like, oh, I think so it, I think children bring the magic back mm -hmm. definitely. I think I, I fully agree with you, Leonard. That when that now it's not. I think it's not as special as it's going to be when I have them, my children, mm -hmm. and then you sort of have the magic back of the mm -hmm. mystery and the secrecy and yeah. But but still, it's just a lovely feeling, and mm -hmm. I, I I love gifting people as well mm -hmm. with my books and that <laughs> 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 shamelessly self promoting. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> But yeah. Like, one well, about your writing process, kind of, how did you come up with this story? Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked a bit about where the inspiration for the character comes from. 
And maybe even like uh, your writing situation, where do you write, how do you write, (laughs) physically or no, the laptop? Yeah, I mean, I do do write on a laptop because my handwriting is atrocious, but I do take my notes in a notebook. So I have about 10 notebooks (laughs) full of like ideas. I sometimes record ideas as well especially when I'm halfway asleep and then in the morning I have a really weird recording <laughs> where I just mumble weird things. And very often these ideas, that seemed absolutely genius <laughs> when I went to sleep, are really bad. Yeah, I um, Yeah, but I mean, I would have to say, I think of the ideas in my book, probably 15% come even like to live and... 10% probably get finished. <laughs> so um, there you go. That's a success rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so what actually happens, I cannot really describe. It's not like that I sit down and I actively brainstorm what could I write. Especially as I do that with my nonfiction, obviously, mm-hmm. because I have deadlines. But um, with my own writing, my fiction, it's a bit like lightning striking so I would sit and then it just strikes. And then usually I have the story written in less than an hour. So, mm-hmm. well, a draft. <laughs> but it's usually that when it strikes, I know exactly what and where I'm going with this story. And that's always a really magical moment. Sadly, it doesn't happen <laughs> so often. Um, but yeah, that's basically my, my go-to move. And with books, what I do is, so when I write a novel, which is obviously a bit of a bigger undertaking, I, at some point when I start being frustrated because I can't keep track of my characters anymore, I start making a file. It's a bit like an FBI file. (laughs) So I have a picture, like a mock picture of all of my characters, what I think more or less what they look like. Uh, I have like everything written down, hair colour, eye colour, height, weight, everything. And the biography, what did they have in the past? What were their parents? What do they fear? What do they love? What are their relations? And so I have a file for every character that I put down. I put down family trees, everything that I need to get myself sorted. But I never start with that. So I'm not sitting down super planned and then I just write... But I start writing and then I see where the story takes me. And at some point I realize I need to get the story organized. <laughs> Otherwise, I just keep losing track. And then I, um, and what I also do, which is a bit embarrassing to say, um, coming, you know, being like a really, I, I love acting as well. I've never done it professionally, but I love doing it. So sometimes I actually act out scenes <laughs> with myself because I need to, especially when I'm stuck. So Mm -hmm. I have conversations basically with myself, which sounds so loony, (laughs) um, to see where the story is going. And I need to sort of get a feeling for the character and I have to sort of become the character. And that's slightly schizophrenic, but very helpful (laughs) exercise that I do. Um, I especially try to do that with my villains Mm -hmm. because I want them to be very complex and not like the big bad wolf, you know, mm. like that kind of evil. Well, sometimes I do, but but yeah. And sorry, what was the rest of the question? <laughs> I think you, you, you answered it really well already. Yeah. Um, you, you also asked, where do I write? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, I'm not 
a coffee shop writer. I don't understand how people can write fiction in coffee shops. Like, I can't um, at all. And I always have to sit in basically in silence, probably with um, music running, but it can only be score. So from a film or something. I love score music, like Theory of Everything or um, what was the other movie about the first computer? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um, the Imitation Game. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So these would be soundtracks. All the Harry Potter soundtracks I love as well, very much. <laughs> and the reason why I like them, but I also feel they're slightly manipulative, is that I think they set a really good mood. So, mm-hmm. for example, I know I'm going to write a high action scene. I put in the music that gives me these sort of mm-hmm. style and then you hear me like typing away and I get frantic and then I read through it and it's completely horrible because half mm-hmm. the words are missing but so music really helps me but I definitely have to be sort of in my writing spot at home where no one disturbs me and where I can also speak to myself because mm-hmm. if I start doing that in coffee shops yeah I might be institutionalized <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that. Very relatable. <laughs> That's good. Is there something that you're currently writing on? Um, I'm always currently writing on something. I have to say that at the moment, sadly, my personal fiction writing is sort of taking a step back because I have so much work to do mm-hmm. for paying people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that has priority. I'm at the moment, to give a little sneak peek, I'm writing primarily on a fairy tale crossover story. <laughs> so it's called the Aurora Chronicles. It is ta-da about Aurora. <laughs> and it sort of fuses a lot of modern and fairy tale-ish elements. And I'm I think I'm I want to say two-thirds into the first book but it might also be half. <laughs> I don't know yet. Um, I love writing that. It's one of my very few projects. So what I what I usually do is I never write on one project, which I probably should do, but I don't. Um, so I normally have a project A and I have a project B. Mm-hmm. Um, the project A is usually a very tough thing to write, either because it asks for, like it requires a lot of planning because mm-hmm. it's an action or a crime novel or because... I don't know, many reasons. Um, and then I usually have a plan, uh, project B, which is sort of my fun project. Mm-hmm. It usually gets finished before project A. <laughs> so I, one of my project A's I've been writing ever since I was 15 and it's still not finished. And I have to revise now everything mm-hmm. anyway because, yeah, I was 15 when I started writing and it's rubbish probably. Um, so I usually get the novels finished first that are project B's. <laughs> And this one is definitely, um, it started out as a project B and now it's become a project A because it now requires extensive planning. And yes, so that's basically what I'm writing on at the moment. And But I'm also trying to edit a lot because I'm a very good writer. I'm a very lazy post-production person. <laughs> <laughs> so things just lie unfinished in my drawers. And, yeah, so I do a lot of editing. At the moment, I'm editing um, a children's book of mine that is called The Last Element, in which a very villainous chemist Mm -hmm. finds a new element which is highly, highly dangerous and could end the world as we know it. 
and yes, and some fierceless teenagers are trying to stop him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> as much as I want to say. But yeah, so that's editing post-production at the moment. Sounds like you're working on quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> yes, intermittently, whenever I find a sort of a scrap of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and short stories in between. Of course. Always. <laughs> that story you started writing when you were 15, yeah. was that about the time when you started writing? Or did you start even before that? I think I... Well, I started writing the minute I could write, basically. Story writing has always been my favourite thing in the world. Um, whenever I, I, So I went to my parents' Montessori school, which gave me the liberty to pursue this interest. And I have... Sadly, I don't have them all anymore. I have some of them. But I always just wanted to write stories. So in the morning, when the teachers asked us, what would you want to do? I was always, I want to write a story. I want to write a story. I want to write a story. <laughs> And I would always write about either horses, depending on what phase I was in, or magic. (laughs) Or magic horses. Or magic horses. I once wrote about... um, Horse magic. Yeah, I once wrote... Exactly. I actually do remember a story where where, um, I wrote about a unicorn or something like that. A griffin. I don't know. Something (laughs) mythical. Horse-ish. And so, yeah, I started... And before that, I remember that I was told stories. So I was the one who always... I have two sisters. I'm in the middle. Make your assumptions. <laughs> and I would always sit down with my sisters and tell them stories. Like, And my favorite game... I never played board games when I was a child. I never played... I hate ball sports up to this day. Um, I always just wanted to play Let's Pretend. So let's pretend to be orphans. Let's pretend to be magical orphans. It's mainly about orphans. <laughs> and, I feel like there's something to unpack there. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, while we're playing orphans, hiding away in a cave or something, my mom brought us sandwiches. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but I think as a child, I didn't realize that... I, I knew what an orphan was, but I didn't realize that being an orphan meant that my parents would be dead, mm-hmm. as in such... But yeah, it was always about let's pretend, let's pretend. We would always run around with, I don't know, long skirts that we just stole from my mother's closet <laughs> and stuff. And I think the reason why I started writing extensively was at the age of 13 or 14, so quite late actually, I stopped playing because that's what you do. At some point you just can't do it anymore. For me, that was very painful. I cried when I realized I couldn't get into this magic spot anymore in which I could pretend. And that's when I started writing, like, more and more and more, because mm-hmm. that was the way to get back in there. Mm-hmm. And before that, I would also write, but it was sort of not as much. And I started my first novel with, yeah, I think that time, 14, I think, 14, 15. It was finished in, like, I don't know, two months. <laughs> it has never seen the day of light. Um, but it's a very interesting story that I like. And then I started writing this story, which is quite hauntingly about it's it's set in the future it's in britain the, i wrote that when i was 15 so yeah more than 10 years ago 
Um, and it's about the British not wanting to be part of the European mainland anymore. <laughs> yes, there you go. And they want to go back to the Victorian virtues and the co- colonial status that they enjoyed back then, and they want That's to become the empire again. Oddly prophetic. I know. It was very... When I read through it the other day, I was feeling slightly, like, premonitional, if that's mm-hmm. not at all. But I was like, oh, this is scary. Oh. <laughs> but they have, like, a terror group pushing it, so it's, it's a bit more dramatic. Oh, the Tories. The Tories, yeah. <laughs> Getting highly political now. No, they're called the Marionettes, actually, mm-hmm. because they are sort of the puppets of... Mm. The puppet master, who is the one who's sort of getting all of this done. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they call it the the mainland is the enemy. So there you go. It's a quite interesting story in, in terms of perspective because the main character is, I don't know, when I was a teenager, haha, quite stereotypical. I was obsessed with the outsider and with not being understood, haha, and quelle uh, surprise. And um, and so the the main character is actually one of the evil people. One of the Nazis, sorry, lacking a better word. Okay. The, like the, and her struggle to, and then she develops a psychosis because she always have to, has to kill people. And that was quite intense to write. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll see if that ever gets finished. Project A for a whole time. <laughs> A1. One, one A1. <laughs> <laughs> Never to be Never to be finished. Your big white whale. My big white whale, yes. My, my Moby Dick <laughs> upon the, uh, among the Project A's. And you said you're, you're currently editing a lot. Yes. And you said you don't like to do it. Why? Not my own stuff. <laughs> okay, why? What's your issue? And how do you feel about, you know, cutting away ruthlessly at your own work? I don't have problems with that. I'm very self-critical. It's not like that I'm saying, oh, it's so perfect. (laughs) It's more like slightly frustrating to me because having worked as a professional editor, I know you can't self-edit really. You know, you just don't see the things that are just, I don't know, sentences that don't make sense probably Mm. because they make sense in your brain. And so I think it's always better to employ another editor or ask a fellow writer Mm -hmm. to do it for you. Um, so I might ask one of you <laughs> and, uh, at some point. Uh, but obviously, I mean, with editing, what I rather mean is go through it, make sure if everything makes sense, if the names are all in place, especially when you have multiple perspectives. Um, because I've actually read books that I've bought in a store that were published and hopefully edited, but obviously not, with multiple perspectives where just the wrong name was in place and I was confused oh, because I was like why is I don't know Josephine talking and it was actually the chunk of I don't know Persephone I'm just mm-hmm. making up these names but <laughs> and um, so it's basically that but it's just you know you've written it and then I don't know about you but you get this soaring feeling of yes it's like giving birth I don't know yeah. but I, I feel like it's like giving birth it's like your baby is born and it's so perfect but then you realise it's not born at all it's just the first draft and you have to make it perfect and that's like rereading your own thing it's like at some point you just can't see it anymore Mm -hmm. and especially with me I get slightly fed up sometimes with my characters like when I've spent a long time with them like with friends I'm like oh shut up I don't want to hear you anymore (laughs) it's so annoying (laughs) and that's why um 
I, I don't know, it's just, I think the writing is just more fun than the editing. So I'm horrible. I would like, I, like I finish something and then I just sort of fling it away and I start writing the new project. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't do that. I should get it mm-hmm. finished. And that's what I'm working on at the moment is that I, that's also why I'm not writing so much because I say before you write a new story, edit the ones that mm-hmm. you have. And especially the old ones, because you read old stories and you love them, but the writing is just a bit off. Mm. And you just have to tweak it to your modern, and uh, not modern, to your current and hopefully better <laughs> writing standards. Mm. And yeah, so I'm tr- that's what I'm trying to do is to get what I have, which is a lot, um, to sort of a top-notch place, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then at some point probably go beyond... Because I feel like it's like three stages. It's like writing, post-production, publishing, or mm-hmm. attempt to publish. And I don't really do a lot of attempt to publish because I don't feel the stories are ready. Mm-hmm. They're not ready because I don't edit. So, mm-hmm. um, But, I mean, you could always send them to an agency who also works with editors. Who of course. And, uh, and then... Yes, that, that is true. I mean, there are editors for that reason. But I feel, especially with older stories, they just might not make it. Mm-hmm. Even if the story is good, the writing frame is just not publishable mm-hmm. as that. And I also, I think if you, I mean, obviously the publishing world, especially in the English market, is a huge one. But you don't want to be sort of branded as the writer who sends in crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... So that's, and I, I'm not in a rush. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd rather start with publishing when I feel ready for it, mm-hmm. when I really feel like, yeah, this is, I'm 100% happy with this. And and then you go from there. Mm-hmm. So that's, don't send your babies out in the world until they're ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what usually inspires you. Is it nature? Is it people is it films or books or something completely different it's basically anything it can come from anywhere um i had a just funny starting as well with a christmas tree i had a story that is well it's under sort of creation uh, being sort of created as we speak halfway which is sort of a satirical take on society I guess and it is about a world in which everyone adheres to the rules and then someone breaks them and there's huge mayhem going off because of that and it basically I, I was I was in Innsbruck and I sat on a on a bench like waiting for the bus and I just looked up into a window where there was a Christmas tree and Then I had to think of Ikea and the the Knut thing where they throw out the (laughs) trees. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is actually quite dangerous. Someone could get hurt. And then I thought they should have like a day where everyone does it, when it's like a holiday when no one can go out and Mm -hmm. just throws out the trees. Just a bit of a silly thought. Mm -hmm. So that basically inspired me for that story. Mm -hmm. So someone throws out the tree not on the day that it should be done and from there on it just goes spiraling downwards (laughs) with society and um, so it's very often a song like what is said in a song actually it's not so often a song it's sometimes a song 
but it's very often a story of someone else. So someone will tell me a story about, I don't know, a friend of theirs, what happened there. And for example, my one of my cousins, uh, she had, so she was married and on New Year's Eve, her husband dropped dead. And then, wow. and they had been trying for a baby for two years and two weeks later she found she was pregnant. <gasps> things like that it's like when I think that's an amazing story and I usually don't write exactly that story mm -hmm. but something that comes from there or something I see in the news for example when the this horrible thing happened with the plane that crashed into the mountain like where the mm -hmm. pilot willfully crashed it mm -hmm. into the mountain mm -hmm. and everyone was dead and things like that where mm -hmm. I think okay what would what would I what would I feel if I don't know, my boyfriend, my mother, anyone would have mm. been on that plane. How would I cope with that? And uh, so strong emotions, especially grief. And for some odd reason, rape are regular themes in my stories. Uh, I think they're just things that I can't come to terms with. Mm -hmm. Like, how would I deal with this? How would I cope with it? And I try to sort of work it out. I mean, thankfully, nothing has happened to me personally in that respect so far. <laughs> and knocking on wood <laughs> and um, and so yeah I draw a lot of inspiration just from watching observing people I love observing people it's a slightly stalking feature but um, I really love that and also nature because you said it um, I wrote a story a children's story well, it's not really a, is it a children's story I've read it as well I think on in the universe meetings The Falling Leaf which is about a leaf that's afraid of falling off the tree. Mm. So things, I mean, it was inspired by a story my little sister wrote when she was a child. But I also remember I once wrote a story about a leaf again that is on a river and it's mm -hmm. sort of floating down the river and the story of what it sees and what is going on on the riverbanks mm -hmm. with all the people. So yeah, that's, that can be very inspiring. But I have to say nature is often more inspiring me for songs okay. and poetry. I'm a horrible poet, but mm -hmm. I sometimes like writing poetry <laughs> just for the fun of it. And But mostly it's about human emotions, mm -hmm. I have to say. That's the highest inspiration. It's grief, happiness, um, fear very often, things like that. I think it's, a, for me, it's a therapeutic way of coping with the idea of it because I don't always feel it but for example also depression and the blues and things like that mm -hmm. are highly inspiring for me yeah that sounds a bit weird now <laughs> but yeah I, I think it is it's among the thing the themes that inspire a lot of writers mm -hmm. is how do I cope and how do I deal with the world around me yeah <laughs> that answers your question yeah it does <laughs> I think that's a very nice note to close on. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is there a place on the internet where the people can find you or your work? Yes. I mean, as I said, there's the, the book. It's called... I didn't even say what it was called. Goodness. This is the time. <laughs> yes. It's called It's Christmas After All. And it's published under A.M. Reitlinger, which is my name. And um, I also ha I have a blog which at the moment runs under floatingtheboat.weebly.com 
I have a YouTube channel that is not very often uploaded, updated, but you can check out what I have, which does a lot of book reviews and stuff like that. It's called Whatever Floats Your Boat. And you can find the link to the YouTube channel on the blog as well. <laughs> and yes, I have uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. Probably, I don't know if it's possible, you can leave We're the link. We're going links. to link to it yeah, in the show notes. We can leave the links in the description box mm-hmm. of all of that. And yes, yeah, so that's basically what I'm writing. I also have a LinkedIn account. If for some reason you're hearing this and you want to work with me as a <laughs> professional writer, you can also see uh, go and see my LinkedIn and take it from there. <laughs> yes, but that's basically me. That's all. Awesome. Uh, yeah, my blog is still the same old, same old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> www.dtintenfish.wordpress.com but I haven't gotten around to writing publishing anything new in a while because I recently started work so yeah be patient with me (laughs) I am still uh, not in possession of blog despite uh, my plans to do it over the summer but you can still find me on twitter I'm at Leo Engelmeyer this was episode 19 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter, where at PodUniverse on Facebook, or via email address podcasts at universe.unigi.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host, as she so often is, was Charlotte Zertz. Our guest on this episode was Angie Rettlinger. On the editorial board for this episode was also Charlotte Zertz. What a surprise! I hope you visit this planet and the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thank you for listening.